We're going to look at one verse this morning. Um, We'll spend most of our time in verse number 12, and we'll reference back to some of the earlier verses in the beginning of the message, uh, and we'll look at some other passages to complement verse 12, but our attention and our time will be mostly spent dissecting verse 12, Philippians 2, verse 12. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Sanctification, Becoming Like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I ask today that you help us to embrace the truths that we're going to cover today. And I pray that our goal would be to look like you, to act like you, to talk like you. Lord, may we be willing to make radical changes in our heart so that, God, we uh, can mimic you. And I ask today that you would... um, Help us to tear down the walls of bad habits. Lord, to struggle toward becoming what you have in mind for us. I think of that potter that has the clay on the wheel and that clay that resists to the molding of the potter's hands. I pray that would not be us. May we yield and allow you to form us and shape us. May we trust you that you have our best interests at heart. Help us to become like Jesus. We ask all these things in your most precious and holy name. Amen. You can be seated. One other uh, thing I wanted to get to before we jump into the message. The uh, church has bought 10,000 door hangers for the upcoming Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And uh, the church staff, the three men of the church staff, we have divided up 4,000 of those. In my car, I've got about 13, over 1,300 door hangers that I am responsible for hanging up in the area, as well as the other assistant pastors. So here's what we're asking. We're asking that the pastoral staff do 4,000 and that the church do 4,000. Is that reasonable? In the back on the table there, we have um, the, the Easter door hangers bundled in sets of 100. And so 4,000 divided by 100 is 40 sets of door hangers. Some of you can do 200. Some of you can do 300. Everybody here uh, can take a stack of 100 and help us distribute those. Also on the back wall, we have maps of the area. And so after the service, somebody's going to be back there and you can tell them what you want to do. So if you want to do the neighborhood around your house, assuming that you live within 20 or 30 minutes of the church, you can take them and do uh, the area around your house. If there's another neighborhood you want to target, Feel free to do that, but let's get those out. The good thing about door hangers is that you don't really have to talk to anybody. You can sneak up and hang it on the door and then get out of there. So if you're terrified about confronting someone about coming to church, uh, that's a quick, easy way of inviting them uh, to church. So let me encourage everybody, everybody who comes uh, regularly to our church to get involved in that. And let's let our community know about the big day we have planned. You say, well, what are we doing on Easter or Resurrection Sunday? Well, we've got some giveaways for the kids. I think there's something like 5,000 pieces of candy we're going to give away to all the kids and a candy drop. Some of your adults are like, can I get involved? Uh, Just see Dave Russo. He's got candy for you. Amen. Um, 
there are some other giveaways we're doing with the kids. The details are on the back of the door hangers. But uh, the choir is putting together several pieces that uh, will, they will do an exceptional job on. And we have some really um, uh, riveting videos that we're going to show up on the screen that will prepare people's hearts for the gospel. The, the gospel message will be given a very, very clear that morning as it is most Sunday mornings. And your loved ones will have a chance to be uh, saved. Your loved ones, friends, neighbors, and even strangers that you meet. So let's do our best to fill up the house of God. One other note about that day is we are going to have two services. And that's coming up April 1st. It's coming up quickly upon us. We'll have two services. So those of you early birds that missed the early service, you're going to get it back for one week. All right, so uh, be here with that, and then um, uh, we'll have a brunch in the middle. There will be no Sunday school hour that, that week. We'll have a brunch upstairs. So the schedule is you can come at 8.30 and then go to the brunch, or you can show up at the brunch and then go to the later service. So uh, we'll be asking for your help with bringing brunch-type items in the weeks to come. So just keep that on your radar. It's sooner than you think. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is exactly four Sundays from now. So it's coming up quick. So get back there and get those door hangers after church and let's get them all over the community. All right. Uh, the text this morning, Philippians 2.12. We understand uh, what God is telling us here through the Apostle Paul. Notice there that he is saying, if you look back at the verse, work out your own salvation. Now, it's important that you notice the words here. What he is not saying is work for your salvation. It does not say work for your salvation. It says work out your own salvation. Now that's a key disting, uh, dis, uh, dis, uh, distinguishing point to make. Because if you grew up in this area and you went to a Catholic church, which most of Stratford is, they don't teach to work out your salvation. They teach to work for your salvation. And I'm going to show you this morning that God does not want you to earn your salvation. You cannot earn your salvation with good works. You can only get your salvation by believing in Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross. You're in the book of Philippians. Turn back one book to the left there to the book of Ephesians. All right. And I'm going to show you the two Stages of salvation. And this is a very, very important uh, 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 point to make at the very beginning of the sermon. And so please, please pay very close attention to what's being said. Otherwise, if you're daydreaming, you're going to wake up in the middle of the sermon and you're not going to have any idea what I'm talking about if you don't understand this vital truth. Now, there are two stages of salvation. All right. Two stages of salvation. And they're laid out for us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That's stage one. And then the second stage is found in verse 10. Look at verse number eight. We see the first stage here. Notice there it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. What is it? It is the gift of God. Gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So what is the first step of salvation? Well, it is, uh, uh, the first step of salvation is having your soul salvaged from hell, and to heaven. I want you to imagine that there is a trash can with uh, a, uh, a soda uh, can in, uh, inside there. And it is waiting for the trash man to come by and pick it up and throw it in the back of the trash can. I'm not talking about the recycling pile. I'm talking about the trash 
keep, all right? And this is just going to go into generic trash. And somebody comes along and picks up that aluminum can out of the trash can and salvages it from heading to the dump, all right? Uh, that process is your soul. Your soul is sitting in a dump heap waiting for uh, uh, death to come and pick you up and throw you into hell. There's nothing you can do about it. You are just as powerless to get out of hell as that aluminum can is to get out of the trash can. You're stuck. You can't behave good enough to get out of there. Instead, you can trust and believe that Jesus did the work for you and that he can reach down and pull you out of that trash can. But you cannot pull yourself out of that trash can. You're stuck and outside of your faith in his grace. You're on your way to hell. Uh, John 3, Jesus told a good man, a rabbi, who was a teacher but had it all wrong. He told him, he said, uh, uh, you're born condemned already. You're condemned already. Meaning this, you're in the trash heap and you're headed to hell. You were born that way because you're born in sin. So how does a person get out of the trash heap headed to hell and, and on their way to heaven? Well, you've got to look back at the cross and you've got to understand that Jesus did the work for you. You can't work for your salvation. You can't earn it. Now, that goes against the grain in our culture. Because Satan has sowed the seeds of counterfeit religions. And he is taking billions of people to hell who are going to end up in hell on good intentions. They think that they're doing the good enough to get into heaven. And God says, whoa, wait a minute. Not by works. Ephesians 2.9. Look back there. Uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot earn salvation. You say, well, how do I get it? Well, I want you to imagine that we have here a puzzle. Go back to your childhood days where you put puzzles together. And I know some adults still do that now. Somebody gave my child a, I think, a thousand piece puzzle for Christmas. And we cannot get that thing together. So thank you for frustrating your pastor. Amen. Um, I want you to imagine a two-piece puzzle, all right? And the first piece of that puzzle comes pre-installed on the board. And God has slid that puzzle in front of every human being alive. Now, what is the first piece of the puzzle? The first piece of the puzzle says right on it, it says the word grace. How was that piece placed on the board? Jesus had to give up his life on the cross, raised again from the dead, in order for that piece to be pre-installed on your board. Now, here's what false religions want to tell you to do. They want to tell you to pick up the puzzle piece of works and try to cram it on the board. And the better you behave, the more likely that piece will fit. And I'm here to tell you that that piece doesn't never fit. And if you die without that puzzle complete, you will end up in hell. Not my words, God's words. In fact, God spends twice as, Jesus rather, spends twice as much time in the New Testament talking about hell than he does about heaven. Hell is a real place. And it is reserved for the devil and his angels. But humanity that rejects the grace of God and does not interlock their faith in that grace will get punished in hell the same way those angels that rebelled against God in heaven will. You see, God has offered grace he killed his son on the cross to provide it. And he looks at you and he says, this puzzle is a gift. And in order to complete the puzzle, all you've got to do is place your faith down in my grace. And when those two puzzle pieces interlock, the completion of that puzzle is called salvation. 
That's the first stage of salvation. You've been, you've been picked up from the trash heap. You've been saved from uh, uh, the dumpster of hell. And you have been placed on a path to go to heaven. What is the second stage? The second stage is found in verse number 10. Look down at verse number 10 of Ephesians 2. It says, For we are His... This is those who have put their faith in His grace. We are His workmanship. Workmanship. This is part of that working out your salvation. Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So, your works do not get you to heaven. His work and your faith get you salvaged from hell. However, once you've been salvaged from hell, the repurposing of your life, the recycling of your life for His work, that's the second stage of salvation. That is up to your work and Him doing that work through you. So stage one is the salvaging of the life of the eternal soul from hell to heaven. Stage two is the salvaging of your broken life to a repurposed life. It's like you're taking that broken can down to the recycling bin and it's being repurposed for another use so that you can do the work of God here on earth. The, the sermon this morning is about that word sanctification. Sanctification. And that word is a big word, but very simply explained, I thought John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, explained sanctification very clearly. Here's what he said. He said, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, but with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I think that quote very well describes the work of sanctification. Now, here's what sanctification is. You take your faith and you put it in Jesus. For me, that was April 8th, 1988. By the way, I throw that date out a lot. Let me just say this. You don't need to know a date on the calendar to be on your way to heaven. How many of you here remember where you got saved, the events of when you got saved, but you don't remember the date? Anybody here that way? Over half the crowd. You don't need to know the date. I'll tell you this really funny story real quick. I didn't know the date either. It was written inside my Bible. And um, we had a football field at the ministry where I was saved at. And my Bible got left out on the football field. And then it got buried in the ground. They were doing some work uh, around the football field, and they dug a hole right in the same spot my Bible was buried, and it was unearthed. And they opened it up, and my name was in there, and they gave it to me. This was four or five years after I was saved. And I got that Bible back, and it was filthy, and I opened it up, and it had in there the date I was saved. And, oh, I can, I, you know, that, that was very valuable. So that's how I, anyway, that's just a neat little story. How do you make that happen for you? There must be a singular point in the map, on the, on the date, on the, on the calendar, where you surrender from a, a sinful life of trying to get to heaven on your own, and you put your faith in Jesus. You must say, I do to the Lord. I could, please hear what I'm about to say. I, there was a day I met Angela, and immediately I was fond of her. And then those feelings began to grow. And the more I was exposed to her, the more I loved her. But you know, loving her wasn't good enough. 
There was a day I had to express that in words. I went and I was very measured with that. I guess I knew her for two hours before I told her. No. Uh, for several months before I knew her. And I took her out on Lake Michigan in a boat and sitting there with the sun going down uh, uh, off the Chicago River, entering Lake Michigan with the sun going down, I, I looked at her and, and I, I memorized what I wanted to say in Spanish. And then I wrote it out in case I'd forget it. And, and um, I, did, I got nervous and I forgot it. So I pulled out the piece of paper and I read it to her. And I got down to that part and I looked at her and I said, Te amo mucho, te amo con todo mi corazón. I love you, I love you with all my heart. And uh, she looked at me and she started crying and she didn't say it back. And I'm like, a few hours later, she's in the girls' dorms at the college. I'm in the guys' dorms at the college. We're on the phone. I'm still trying to milk it out of her. Finally, finally, I got it from her. And uh, those were just very hard words for her to emotionally get out. So I had expressed that love, but that wasn't good enough either. There had to come a day where I got down on a knee and I asked her to marry me. But, you know, that wasn't good enough either. I had to be willing to walk, uh, get up on the platform and watch her walk down the aisle, look her in the eye and say, for better, for worse, till death do us part. Some of you here, you're familiar with Jesus, and you like Jesus, and you've grown to love Jesus. Loving Jesus doesn't get you to heaven. There must be that day where you take your love and your mouth, and you express it to the Lord, and you say, I'm a sinner, I'm unworthy of heaven, Will you save me? Will you salvage me from the trash can that's going to get dumped into hell? Will you, will you put me on the path to heaven? Will you, will you redeem my filthy, sinful soul? And for me that day, I was a four-year-old boy. I prayed and put my faith in Jesus. Let's do this really quick. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm not done with the sermon. I've just started. But before I move on, I want to make sure that everybody here who's not done that has a chance to do that. If you're here today and you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, you like Jesus, you love Jesus, but you've not committed to Jesus, will you do that right now? Will you, right where you're at, just pray a very simple prayer. Now, if you've already done this, you don't need to do it again. It's a one-time thing. But will you ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to salvage your soul from hell? Will you just pray this prayer right where you're at, under your breath? Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve to be punished in hell for my sin. I, know, I thank You that You died for me on the cross. Will you salvage my soul from hell? Will you give me a home in heaven? In Jesus' name. Let's keep our heads bowed for just a moment. If you prayed that prayer for the first time where you're sitting, or you prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant it for the first time, rather, could I, could I just rejoice with you? Just me and you privately. Would you just slip up your hand quickly? Is there anybody here that did that? Anybody here that did that? You look back up here. If you just did that, whether you're watching online or you're here in the auditorium, now you have completed stage one of sanctification. What's that mean? You have become into the family of God. You've been adopted into the family of God. Now, you have begun a new journey. There's the day you're saved, and then way down here, there will be the day that you step into heaven. 
when you get to heaven, your robe of flesh, that flesh you have, will be shed and God will give you a new body. And you'll be made in the image and likeness of Jesus. The sin nature will be gone and you will become like Jesus. Now, we're way back here. Can I tell you what a lot of Christians do? And I think there's a lot of Christians here that are this way. They might take a couple of steps this direction and then they stop. And they don't grow. Other Christians will, will sprint ahead and then go backwards and then freeze and they settle. God has called you to do the work of sanctification, to fight forward, to become more and more like Jesus while you walk this earth. And we'll never ever get all the way there until we get to heaven, but we ought to fight every day to become more and more like Jesus. I want you to think back to a time when you were maybe in junior high. For those of you that uh, have children that are young and at home, maybe you have observed their behavior and you can see that they look up to somebody else that's maybe a little bit older than them and they're beginning, beginning to mimic and copy that behavior. How many of you remember a time where either you did that or your children did that? Can I see your hand? All right. Um, uh, I won't say any names, I won't name the child, and I won't name who, but one of my children is mimicking another child in this church at home, and it's driving me bananas, all right? Not doing anything bad, just driving me bananas. And I'm like, well, you knocked that off! And um, that child is wanting to become like that other child. And it's not, it's just, you know, idiosyncrasy things, it's not a big deal. But I'm watching that child want to become like someone else. I remember when I was a small boy, my, uh, my dad was the administrator of the school. I'd get there really early and I'd stay really late. Sometimes I'd get there at 6 a.m. and I'd go home at 5.30 in the evening. And my mom would watch the aftercare after school. And uh, I was the principal's kid and my dad had to punish all the kids that were bad. And so I received the brunt of their hatred toward him. And so I was not popular um, at that particular school. And um, um, the older kids would bully me. They pushed me around. By the way, I survived. All right. But uh, bullying me, pushing me, I got, I was given swirlies. I was shoved in the shower and had the cold water turned on me uh, while I was changing for PE. I had all kinds of things happen. And um, uh, one day there was a kid who normally didn't stay in aftercare. He was probably in the ninth grade. His name was Craig. And he, uh, he was the only one there uh, that was older. All the other kids were gone. And he treated me like I was a real human being. I was like sixth grade. Treated me like I was a real human being. Can I tell you the impact that had on me? I began to look up to him, and I began to want to become like him. Now, after that day, he began to ignore me again. He was never mean to me. He was never mean to me, but he was never nice to me except that one day. That one day made a huge impact in my life. Can I tell you today that God, Jesus, wants you to look up to him? He wants you to try to become like him the way I wanted to become like Craig. Can I ask you a question today, Christian, that's just really honest? Do you want to become like Jesus, or are you comfortable settling looking like the world? That's a process, but it's a process many of us are not willing to fight. All right, much of the sermon was caught up in the introduction. I want to talk to you this morning about sanctification. I want to talk to you about that process of becoming like Jesus. In Philippians 2, verse 12, Paul gives us the formula of sanctification. And if we do these things, we will each day become a little bit more like Jesus. Let's jump in and look at five steps out of this passage 
of sanctification and uh, how we can understand better about how to become like Jesus. Number one, step number one, notice our standard, our standard. And notice that word uh, there at the very beginning of Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Can we read it out loud together? Verse 12, ready? Wherefore. Now, anytime you see in the Bible the words therefore or wherefore, you need to look back. Because the author has just written some things that he is stacking that truth on top of. Alright? This building of truth has been built, and based on that foundation, he's putting that on top of that. So, if we're going to understand what wherefore is, we need to look back in the passage and get a better idea. Notice letter A, his humiliation. Who is our standard? It's Jesus. Jesus is our standard. He's the one we're trying to become like. Look at verse 5 with me. Alright? And, and, and this builds up to verse number 12. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So we need to think like Christ. How do we do that? Look at verse 6. Who being in the form of God, speaking of Jesus, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found, as a, found in fashion as a man... Notice this phrase, if you don't have it underlined in your Bible, I'd encourage you to do it. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Hey, you want to become like Jesus? You want Jesus to be your hero that you strive to mimic and copy your behavior? You want to become sanctified or made holy or made clean in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ? Then you've got to copy his humility. Got to copy his humility. You might be the very best at your profession at your job. Don't walk around arrogant. Walk around with humility. You might know that you're right in an argument with your wife or husband. Approach it with humility. You might think that your children are dead wrong and you just need to nail them to the wall. Approach it with humility. Hey, look, attacking someone never gets you anywhere except backwards. God looked down at humanity and he saw their sin and he was forced to either send them to hell or to come up with a plan to salvage them from hell and put them on the path to heaven. And God could have blasted Adam in the Garden of Eden and said, to hell with you! But instead he stepped back and said, let me approach this with humility. I will send my son to become one of you and I will allow him to die in your place to become sin. And because of his humility... I now have peace with God. Some of you don't have peace in your relationships because you don't have humility. And you don't look like Jesus. You look like the devil. You've been saved from the world. You've not yet conformed. By the way, letter B, notice his exaltation. His exaltation. Look down at verse number 9. So, Jesus humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. Look Look what happened to him because of his humility. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus died on the cross, because he was humiliated, because he showed humility, he's now been exalted. You know, Jesus had to go through a time of having nails riven through his hands and his feet. Now he hangs on a cross. Now, you know, rather, now he's in heaven, sitting on a throne. And you know what is happening? He's being exalted. Now, look, he's being exalted by those in heaven, but that's, and by some on earth, but not by everybody. There are people who claim God's not real, 
There are people right now, there are hundreds of people at this very moment taking God's name in vain. And even going as far as blaspheming His name by attaching His name to a cursed word. Can I tell you that one day those folks are going to get down on their knee in front of Jesus and they're going to say, You are Lord. I can't wait for that day. Now, you can start that process now or you can wait till you get to heaven. But I sure don't want to wait till I get to heaven. Here's what, here's, what, here's what I'm trying to say. To become like Jesus, you need to understand the order of things. We all want to be exalted. We all want the pay raise. We all want the happy marriage. We all want the children that behave. We all want uh, life to be blissful, our relationships to be great, the money to flow in and pay all the bills and everything we got going on in life. But you cannot have exaltation until you first exhibit humiliation. You humble yourself and He lifts you up. You lift yourself up and He humbles you. And you experience pain and suffering. Why? Because that is the process. Jesus humbled Himself and He was raised. So, verse number 12 begins, wherefore? Well, what is the wherefore? It's that Jesus humbled Himself and was exalted. What is our standard for sanctification? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Number two, let's look at this, our sentiment. Our sentiment. Look back at verse number 12 there. It says, Wherefore, those next two words out loud together, ready? My beloved. Again, my beloved. When you call somebody by a descriptive title, what you're saying is they embody that title. If I look at my wife and call her sweetheart, I'm saying that she has a sweetheart. Don't make the mistake, men, of calling your wives ball and chain. Because you're saying they are a ball and chain. All right. Um, um, this is a joke. I'll, I'll let that one slide. Amen. Um, my beloved. You know what Paul is saying here? Love. Love embodies who you are. I look at you as a church body, the church of Philippi. You all can be described as loving people. Loving people. The world today is filled with folks that don't know how to love. They know how to lust. They know how to fight you to get what they want. They know how to put their needs out of everybody else, and then they term that as love, but they don't know how to love. The church house is filled with people today who don't really know how to love. Let me show you some verses here. I'm going to go through these quickly for sake of time. Let me read you some verses here. Learning to love others is the key. Is the key to becoming like Jesus. You want to become like Jesus? Anybody here not want to become like Jesus? Okay, then you've got to love. You've got to love the way Jesus loved. What did Jesus tell us in Matthew 22, 39? He said we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then somebody got smart with Jesus and said, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered the question with the story, and the conclusion of the story is that everybody's your neighbor. Everybody's your neighbor. And the guy that's down and out and hurt, and on the side of the road that's been beaten like the, good, uh, like the Jewish man was, the Good Samaritan got down and helped him, uh, that guy is especially your neighbor. We're to love our neighbor. Who else are we to love? 1 John 3.14 tells us we know, listen to this verse, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. 
How do you know that you are uh, born again? How do you know that you pass from death to life? Well, one trademark of that is that you know how to love others who have passed from death to life with you. You might wonder, some of you new to our church, you might wonder why we call uh, somebody brother this or sister this. Well, I call Eric down here brother Eric because we've both been adopted into the family of God through salvation. God is our father, although we don't have the same blood from the same parents, we are brothers in Christ. That's why I call him brother Eric, we're brothers in Christ. Uh, Sometimes we'll refer to someone to Sister Joan or Sister Joanne. Why? Because they're sisters in Christ. Sisters in Christ. And we are to love the brethren. Don't you come sit in my pews of this church, sit in the pews of this church, and snarl when somebody else walks by you that's a Christian. Don't you do that. They're your sibling in Christ. They had Jesus in their heart. You're to love them. You say, well, they're not lovable. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Aren't you glad God loves you and you're not lovable? Don't be so conceited and, and arrogant to think that you're always lovable. There's not a human being that's always lovable. God loves you in your worst moment. You love everybody. You love the brethren. Well, not only are we to love our spiritual siblings, we're to love them when they mistreat us. 1 John 4, verse 20 and 21. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from you, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. You know what God is saying here through the Apostle John? He's saying, you can't say that I love God and don't love my brother in Christ. The two are connected. Either you love them both or you hate them both. You either love them both or you hate them both. If there's someone you see and you go, oh my, I can't stand that person, and they claim to be born again, well... You can't say that you love God as well. They're interconnected. So, uh, how are we called the beloved? Well, we love our neighbors. We love our spiritual siblings. We love our spiritual siblings even when they're not very lovable. And then the fourth category here is that we're to love our enemies. Out of the very mouth of Jesus himself, he said in Matthew 5, 44, he said, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. This is the deepest level of love. When you can learn how to love those who hate you, and you have graduated to a level of becoming the beloved in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you're going to start there. But I'm saying you ought to strive to get there. The day I was saved, there were people in my life I didn't like. Can I tell you a secret? There's still people in my life I don't like. I don't think any of them are in this room. There are people I don't like. There are people that don't like me. You try to do something big for God, you're going to make enemies along the way. No matter what your disposition is. There are people that don't like me. You know what my job and my duty is? It's to love them anyway. You say, but that's not easy. That's why you sanctify yourself. You allow God to make you holy and to clean you up. It's that, re- it's that salvaging of the life For the work of God, that recycling of your wretched soul into something that's useful inside of the work of God as a Christian. We're to love our sentiment, our sentiment. Number three, notice our submission. Look back at verse number 12 of Philippians 2. It says there, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have, next few words out loud together, ready? Always obeyed. One more time. Always obeyed. Boy, that's a high mark, isn't it? 
Anybody here want to claim that they always obey the Bible in every way? I don't think anybody can make that claim, can they? Always obey. Turn, turn over in your Bible to the book of Acts. Acts is to the left of Philippians. It is um, uh, maybe three books back, not too far. Three or four books back. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 and verse number 13. Just set this up really quick. Uh, Jesus had died, risen from the dead, showed himself to his disciples. Uh, about uh, 500 different people saw Jesus risen. He stood there on the mount and he ascended up to heaven. And uh, he told his disciples, he said, go give the gospel. He said, uh, the Great Commission, he said, I want you to give it to Jerusalem, to Judea, the, the state that Jerusalem's in, to Samaria, the people you don't like. And then he said, I want you to go to the uttermost. And you know what, Paul, or you know what Peter did? He heard Jesus say, Jerusalem. And he heard Jesus say Judea. He cringed at Samaria. He sure didn't want the other uttermost parts of the earth. Why? Because, uh, to be honest, Peter was a racist man. Peter was a very racist man. He loved the Jews. He didn't love Gentiles. Anybody that isn't a Jew is a Gentile. And uh, Peter's attitude is that Gentile's a dog. He didn't want to give the gospel to him. Peter was stuck on his traditions. One day, Peter, in, in Acts chapter 10, Peter's asleep on his roof. We'll look at uh, the following verses here in a minute. I'm just trying to set this up for you. And, uh, you know, there were these dietary laws that were given all the way back in the book of Leviticus that God was getting ready to do away with. And so, um, uh, Peter falls asleep and God catches him up in a vision. And there, Jesus is standing there in the vision. And there's a blanket full of animals. Some are clean and some are unclean. Some are clean and some are unclean. And uh, there, um, uh, uh, we'll look down at verse 13, Acts 10, verse 13. And there came a voice to him, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, and here's the voice, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, wait a minute, Peter, before we read on, Peter's attitude is, my whole life, I have been taught that cleaning, eating unclean animals is a sin, and is a, it is a violation of the dietary law given to us all the way back in the Pentateuch, I can't eat that. But here Jesus is telling him to do it. And he's thinking, I can't do that because I've been taught not to. Look at verse number 14. But Peter said, and this is an oxymoron, not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. Now, I have a sermon I put together years and years ago entitled, Not So, Lord. Here's the concept. If God is your Lord... He is your master, you are his servant, then you will do everything he tells you to do. And so Peter is saying, you are my Lord, but I'm not going to do it. You are my Lord, but no. You are telling me to do something that goes against everything in my body and I'm going to listen to my body and I'm going to ignore the, what the Lord is telling me to do. Now, becoming like Jesus is a matter of deleting a not-so-Lord attitude out of our thinking. Let me ask you a question. God points out something in your life that needs to go. Maybe it's music. Hey, listen, music is Satan's greatest tool that trips people up. Satan was a musician in heaven before he was thrown out. Satan has used music, he has weaponized music to trip more people up than any other tool in his arsenal. You're a born-again believer, there's certain music you shouldn't be listening to. 
Music that glorifies sin, Satan, uh, uh, themes that are sexual, uh, glorifies self. That's got to go. That doesn't belong in the life of a Christian. You want to become like Jesus? You want to look like Jesus? Then there's some things in your life that were there prior to being saved. You've now been pulled out of the dumpster pile of hell and you want your life repurposed for the work of the Lord. Then there's certain things in your life they've got to go. Music's one of them. Listen, there's certain, there's certain ways that a Christian shouldn't dress. Men ought to dress like men, and women ought to dress like women, and it ought to be obvious from, obvious from a long ways away what gender you are. All the way you walk and carry yourself. The modesty in which you embody yourself. That ought to be very clear that you are not calling attention to a body part, you're calling attention to the way that you carry yourself, and the persona you carry yourself, and the arrows of your fashion always point to your face, not your body. There's a way you ought to dress. The Holy Spirit comes along and He says, hey, that's got to go. Do you get rid of it or do you hold on to it? Listen, there are certain habits that got to go. There's language that's got to go. and uh, there, are, uh, uh, there, there are church habits that need to be developed. And if you're going to become like Jesus, you've got to obey every time something's pointed out that ought not be there. Now, Peter was getting tripped up because it went against what he thought was right. God said, it doesn't matter. I'm changing the rules, Peter. And I'm right. What I've called clean, you don't call unclean. By the way, Christian, I think that the application is a little different in the room today. What God calls unclean, you do not call clean. You say, there's nothing wrong with that. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. You may not like it. It may have been a habit for you for the first three, four, five, six decades of your life. And that may be part of who you are. It's time that you lose your old sinful identity and you get a new identity in Jesus. That's part of the process. And that comes down to the word submission. Are you going to lay down your hands and quit fighting against God? Or are you going to continue to fight against Him? Now, I, I wrote out this quote. I want you to listen carefully to it. When prompted by God, prompted by God, you're pushed by God through His Word or through the Holy Spirit inside of you as a Christian. When prompted by God to make a change, a refusal to add or take away certain habits from our lifestyle, here's what it is. It is a refusal to become more like Jesus, and it is a choice rather to settle uh, and uh, look more like the sinful world around us. You've been saved out of the trash pile of sin. You look like sin. You look like the world. And God's saying, okay, this habit needs to go in. That habit needs to go in. That habit needs to go in. You need to add this habit. And you need to add this habit. You need to tweak this a little bit. And you come to something and you go, you know what? I see I need to get rid of that. And you get rid of it. Then you come to something else and you go, what? That's a sin? Huh, what? You know what? No way. Uh-uh. No, that, that's too extreme. I'm not doing that. And you settle right there. And you push against the Holy Spirit. You push against God. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you mature Christians have been coming to church for 20, 30 years, have been saved out of a radical, radical changes have been made? I think of several of you in here that fit this profile. I wonder how many of you here this morning hit a wall where you were shocked that something was a sin. And it took you a minute to get your mind around that. How many of you here can identify with that this morning? But you did, didn't you? You did, didn't you? Those of you that are new to Christianity, there's going to be things in this book that go way against the culture that has embodied who you are. Most of that culture has been dictated by Satan. It may be radically different. You need to be willing to make that change. We see 
our submission. Is it true about you that when God points out something that's wrong in your life, is it true about you that you always obey? Or do you pick and choose? My friend, there is a mountain called sanctification in front of you. There's a mountain called becoming like Jesus in front of you. You can choose to continue to climb the mountain, or you can choose to settle and set up camp right there and go no further. My friend, I don't want to be guilty of of settling and, and just camping out. Number one, we see our standard. Read them out loud here with me. Number two, we see our sentiment. Number three, our submission. Number four, notice our stimulus. Our stimulus. Look down at verse number 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, look at this, but now much more in my absence. Oh, this is great. Paul began the church at Philippi. Showed up in Philippi and there weren't a whole lot of people there that were believers. And he began to share the truth of Jesus. People began to believe and put their faith and get saved. And he gathered all these people together that were getting saved. And he put them together in a, in a, in a dwelling, a, a place of worship, a church building. And they began to, to meet and change and grow. And Paul was their, uh, the, their, their physical uh, uh, being they could see. And Paul was their spiritual leader. They were following Paul while he followed Christ. And they're looking at him and they're making these changes and Paul is saying yes that's a good change no that's not a good change or uh, you need to change this or you need to add this you need to take this away and they're going oh okay and they're taking Paul's word for things there came a day where Paul left them and you know what happened they continue to grow they continue to grow Uh, Paul said here writing back years later he wrote this from a prison he said you not only obeyed in my presence you obeyed much more in my absence Paul was able to take these folks who had trusted his personality and his sharing of the gospel. He was able to shift their reliance off of him and place it on Jesus. I want everybody in here to think about the person that shared the gospel with you. Some of you maybe tripped uh, uh, tripped over it and found it yourself. Very small percentage of you. But if that's your case, think about the person that was responsible for getting you grounded in your faith. Do you know that that person is capable of sinning and falling? And if you're resting the foundation of your faith on a person, Pastor Brown, Pastor Peslak, Pastor Lejeune, one of the deacons, one of the faithful members who've helped you get along the way, if you're putting your reliance on them and their personality and you're hanging your faith on them, you know, I could fail you. Our deacons could fail you. Pastor Brown could still sin and fall. Pastor Peslak could still sin and fall. Thankfully, thankfully, none of those men I've named have done any of that. One of our ladies in the church that has helped you grow and get you where you are, they're capable of sinning and falling. I've watched sin rip many people apart that I viewed as, in my uh, mind, I thought at one point they were untouchable. Sin couldn't get them, and I've seen sin take them down. You know what Paul said? You're not obeying in my presence, you're obeying in my absence. You know what he was saying here? Look here. What's the word on the screen? It's the word stimulus. You know what Paul is saying? It's not me that's stimulating you into righteousness. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You're obeying. You're becoming not like me. You're becoming like Jesus. And all of you that are here today, I've I've had the privilege of touching many of uh, the lives of a lot of the newer people that are coming to our church. I'm thankful for my interactions with you. I'm thankful I got to share the gospel with many of you. I'm thankful that many of you have gotten saved. But I'm here to tell you today, do not become like me. Become like Jesus. 
Let him be your stimulus. By the way, Jesus is the living word. This is the written word. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. You want Jesus to change who you are. You begin to read this Bible and let that stimulate you. Number five, and lastly, we see our striving. Our striving. Look down at verse number 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence. Look here. Work. 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 Work out your own salvation. You know what sanctification is? It's striving. Fighting. Not fighting against believers. Fighting against sin and Satan. It's work. Right down here, on the front row, is my sweet, precious wife. She hates this right now. I've been married to this girl for coming up on 11 years this June. Can I tell you that when I stood on the platform and married her, it was a world of euphoria. First several months of our marriage were pie in the sky, walking on cloud nine. But do you know why our marriage is still successful and happy after 11 years? Because we both worked at it. There was a day I held Matthew in my arms. And if you are a parent here, I want you to think about that day your child was born. And I held my son in my arms, all 9 pounds, 10 ounces of him when he was born. Big baby. I looked down at him. I was filled with joy and euphoria. I thought, this young man is going to change the world. You know what? If my child's going to change the world, that's going to require this team right here working very hard. Your single parent's going to require you working even harder. I look at, I look at many relationships that I have in my life. Think about the relationship I have with my parents. Those relationships, while they are filled with joy for them to be successful, I must put in the effort to make them that way. Christian, are you putting in the effort and the work to make this relationship right here a success? What if you invested the same effort into your marriage that you invest with your Savior? Would your marriage be a disaster? See, if you want to become like Jesus, you've got to spend time with Jesus. You've got to strive. You've got to work it. You've got to work at it. Letter A, notice that this is a work of adoration. Work of adoration. Look back at verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear. Now that word fear doesn't mean to be scared. It means to reverence or adore or to worship. This gets down to it. Do you fear God? Do you reverence God? Do you respect His Son? Do you worship His Son? Do you want to become like Jesus Christ? Or do you want to look like the culture and the world around you? What do you want? How bad do you want it? Are you willing to confess sins and expel sin habits? Are you willing to do His work when He prompts you to do it? 
You see, that's what fear is. It's adoring your master and your savior. It's wanting to mimic and copy his behavior. Letter B, we see that this is a work of anxiety. Work of anxiety. Look back at verse 12. Look at those last two words. Rather than the last phrase, work out your own salvation. This is really odd. With fear and trembling. Trembling. Well, I know some people that suffer with anxiety. You know what they do? They tremble. They shake. I think of a dog that I hold for the first time that's just a timid little dog and I hold him in my arms and he just tremors and shakes. I think of a baby who, or a small child who is in an uncomfortable situation and runs behind mom's skirt. I think about someone who gets up on a church platform to sing a special for the first time and I get to sit right here and their knees are just knocking, trembling. God says that you're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling and anxiety. What, what should we be anxious about? You see, the Bible tells us in another place, it says, be careful or be anxious for nothing. So, and then here it says that we're to be anxious. So is there a contradiction? And the answer is no. What are we to be anxious about? You are to be anxious about working out your salvation through the power of your sinful flesh. You are not to rely on your flesh to become like Jesus. Because your flesh hates God. Your flesh loves sin. Your flesh loves to do wrong. You scratch your head and say, Well, pastor, if I'm not to work out my salvation through my own flesh, then how in the world am I supposed to do it? And the answer to that question is, you are supposed to allow God's Holy Spirit, He has placed inside your heart as a Christian, to do that work through you. Through you. Now, tonight... Tonight, we're going to look at this topic of sanctification, how the Holy Spirit does it through us. In a sense, it's a continuation of this message, but it also fits the theme of the Holy Spirit that we're covering on Sunday evenings. And I would beg you, I would urge you, I implore you, be back tonight at 6 o'clock, because if you want to live out what we're talking about this morning, you need to hear the message tonight. If you've got uh, a situation where you can't be back, tune in on our live stream on YouTube at 6 o'clock and watch the service. Please, I beg you to listen tonight to what's said, because God has given you the Holy Spirit inside of you who will work a work of cleaning you up. He will sanctify you from within, and I would, uh, I would encourage you to be back tonight. Do not try to clean yourself up on your own. You ought to be scared to death of even attempting to do that. Can I tell you that I've made this mistake for much of my Christian life, and I still catch myself at times making the same mistake? I know the Bible. I've been memorizing the Bible since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. i got verses memorized. My wife tells me sometimes I think you've got the whole Bible memorized. And I don't, but i got a lot of verses memorized. I know where the books are. I know it inside and out. But can I tell you, the problem with that, and many of you uh, that have gone to church your whole life like me, which is a lot of you here, you know what the problem with that is? You become reliant on what you know and learned behavior to try to please God. You've got to get to a place where you shift off your effort and you rely on the Holy Spirit's effort inside of you. You ought to be scared to death of trying to figure out the Christian life on your own because you can't do it. You can't do it as hard as you try. How about it today, Christian? Are you, are you becoming like Jesus? Is He your model? Is He your role model? Are you willing to deny self and cling to Him? Or are you too enamored by 
what you see in the culture around you to become like that? Are you allowing traditions and cultures that are set in sin to dictate who you are today? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Lord, I ask today that you'd help us with this truth. This idea of becoming like Jesus. God, the world looks at this idea and they label that as being a boring, hard lifestyle. But God, I look at the world and I see the drunks that are dead in the ditch. I see uh, uh, smoke, people that smoke that are suffering with lung cancer. I see people who are promiscuous who lose their marriages and their children. I see pain. I see a hard lifestyle. And Lord, I think of those who are becoming like Jesus and I think about the joy they have through solid relationships. And God, I, I am encouraged to want to become like you. I pray this morning that you would help us all to desire that. May we be willing to submit and set aside sin and cling to the concept of becoming and looking like our Savior. Lord, I can't think of a better person to look like you gave your life for me. Now I want to become like you. Lord, I pray you'd help us with this. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, how many here today say, Pastor, I am that Christian that settled on the mountain, that stopped climbing. Maybe it was even a long time ago, but I, Pastor, am determined that as God points things out in my heart, that I will submit and I will love others and I will do my part to become like Jesus. Pastor, Pray for me that God will give me that renewed effort to climb the mountain in sanctification. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Pastor, please pray for me. I've settled. I'm not doing what all, all I ought to do. How many here today would say, Pastor, God is trying to move me up that mountain by putting some trials in my life. These trials are hard. Would you please pray for me as I go through these? Pray God's grace would be rich and all over me. That's you. Just slip up your hand. Lord, I pray that you would pour your grace down on these people. I pray that your, these trials would accomplish the task of moving them up the mountain of sanctification. I can't wait, God, till we stand in your presence one day. We have no more sin nature. We look like you. We talk like you. We act like you. Until that day, may we strive to take the trials and use them to press us closer to you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. How about it today, Christian? Will you come and kneel and ask God to help you to renew that effort to become like Jesus? Some of you here today, you've not yet been saved. You, you've not put your faith in Jesus. If that's the case, one of our assistant pastors, Pastor Mike, is standing right here. He'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. Some of you here today have been saved. You've not yet been baptized, and you're lined up to be baptized. If that's the case, I'd encourage you to come forward right now. Talk with Pastor Mike, and he can get you set up with that. Those going to be baptized, let me have you go ahead and come forward right now. If you would like information about joining our church, I'd like to provide that to you as well. But let's make decisions as the piano plays.